Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 29 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. My guest today is a former Ring of Honor World Television Champion, and he is the creator of Shane Taylor Promotions. He is, of course, Shane Taylor. Shane, welcome to the show. I don't dress the way you like. I don't look the way you like. But I fight the way I like. I don't walk the way you like. I don't talk the way you like. But I fight the way I like. I don't move the way you like. Man, my crew ain't who you like. But we fight the way we like. Thank you for having me, but I'm not just the creator. I am the CEO of Shane Taylor Promotions. Shane Taylor Promotions is a company, is an LLC, just so you know, Kevin Eck. Also, while we're on the subject of disrespect, how does it take you 29 episodes into the ROH Strong podcast to send an invite out to the baddest champion you've ever seen? Boy, this is what I'm talking about. I thought you were better than this, Kevin. Uh, boy, we're not starting off on a good uh, on a good foot here, Shane. Uh, well, you know, you had look. You are certainly a big guest, but we have to space out the big guests, right? I mean, you can't have them all in the beginning, or everyone would stop listening. So, you know, we're giving people a reason to listen to episode twenty nine. Yeah, I, I I hear all that, and you're trying to weasel your way out of it. This is just <laughs> like the Ring of Honor draft they had. You know, Caprice Coleman had the sense to draft your boy, but it still took like. 30 picks. L- listen, Shane Taylor should have been the number one, number one draft pick, number one guest. You guys are starting off on the wrong foot. Huh. Jeez. Okay. All right. Well, no, no disrespect was intended on my part, Shane. Um, but you are here now, and I'm very glad to have you here. Let me ask you the first question. You were in the bubble recently uh, for right. the ROH TV tapings. What was that experience like being basically sequestered in a hotel room for a week? <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, it's it's kind of like jail, you know what I mean? But And I, and I, <laughs> I say that in, uh, in the most positive way possible um, because it, it's a very nice jail cell, you know what I mean? But uh, <laughs> right. all, all kidding aside, uh, Ring of Honor, you have to give credit where it's due. Uh, they did an incredible job of making sure uh, every safety precaution and protocol was in place. They made sure it was followed to the letter, regardless of how minute the detail may be. Uh, they made sure everybody adhered to those policies. Um, and now we, we've been able to have a successful sec- second set of TV tapings. Um, no positive cases. Everybody's been healthy. Um, so it's been tremendous. They've done an incredible job, um, and 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 going stir crazy in the room. You know what I mean? Minus the Wi-Fi, you really can't complain, man. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, what was it like as far as getting back in the ring after such a long layoff? Did you notice any ring rust? Uh, did you get any ring time during our time off? Were you able to get to a gym or a ring anywhere around where you live? No, because where I'm at, there isn't one. Um, there isn't a ring, you know what I mean? So that's been the longest layoff of my career. Um, and more so than anything physical, because to use the cliche, it's like riding your bike, right? So once you get in there, 
you start to remember uh, timing and foot placement and movement and things of that sort. But your mind, your mind is what plays the biggest tricks on you because leading up to that, your anxiety is so bad because you're like, man, did I forget how to wrestle? Right. And you're trying to think of things and you're like, man, what this, this, well, what's this called? And what's this, what's this, what's this? And you just, your mind will absolutely play the worst tricks on you. Um, but then as you get out there, you realize you're not the only one thinking that, you know what I mean? So right. you get some solace in that. Um, but once you get out there, uh, and then the only factor really um, is just dealing with no crowd because you are trained, everything you are trained to do, if you're doing it correctly, is off crowd response. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, not having that there um, really does sort of throw you for a loop, but then uh, you're able to sort of gauge using your other skill sets, you know, how you're supposed to move. Let me ask you about just the physicality um, aspect of it. And I've asked some other guys uh, and girls about this, too. Um, you know, a wrestler take, is used to taking bumps all the time. The body gets calloused and gets used to it. Um, when you take six months off without taking any bumps, was it kind of a shock to the system the, the first time? Yeah, you, you definitely start feeling things that you didn't know were there. But... Just like you said, they've been there the whole time. It's just that you're used to it. Uh, your mind block your mind blocks it out. So uh, definitely after the first match, you you're like, all right, I'm I'm a little sore than normal. And I know, especially after what uh what we gave the fans list this last TV taping, I was hurting for a day or two. But this is what we do, you know. So it, it's a uh, show must go on type vibe. Well, I know every wrestler certainly has bumps and bruises um, that they're dealing with on a daily basis. Did the six month all, months off help you heal up at all? Or, or did, you know, did your body need a break, do you think? I mean, after 13 years of doing this damn near nonstop, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> a lot of people yeah. don't, don't know. I actually um, had a tear in my shoulder. I injured my shoulder uh, in the UK in the match with Joe Hendry. Uh, at your call and essentially fin uh, like finished the match with one arm and then wrestled the rest of the tour and defended the world television championship, by the way. Um, but that was a tour that a lot of guys were getting banged up and injured. Um, and I knew that I was needed. I knew that I was a crucial piece of that and I wasn't about to let injury or anything else stop that. Um, and so I was just going to keep going, you know, and, and, and re and rehab and train and do what I could, uh, for as long as I could until I couldn't. Um, and then COVID happened. You know what I mean? So it gave me right. a few months off to heal, uh, much needed time to heal. And now I'm back ready to go. Well, wow, you kept that hidden because I had no idea that you were, you were battling an injury at that point. So I, mean, I, I guess the, the, this is the part of Shane T that a lot of people don't know. You know, people see me, you know, loud and brash and arrogant and, and, and talking. And, you know, I feel as though I've earned that, especially given the last two and a half years that I put in to, R to ROH. You could argue I've been the MVP for the last two and a half years. Um, so, yeah, but this is this is a part of me as well. You know, I am that guy that's going to show up. I am the guy that's going to be, uh, you know, uh, 
dependable. I am the guy that's, you know, when you need that big hit, when you need that home run, put me in the box and let me swing. Yeah. And look, I'm not here just to, uh, I'm not blowing smoke. Um, I think you, you know, we've known each other for a while. I'm pretty straight shooter. I would say um, over the last couple of years, if I had to pick an MVP really for 2019, um, it would either be between you and, and uh, Matt Taven. And I've told Matt that as well. That, and, and, you, uh, and you could yeah. Taven, and, and, and I wouldn't, and that wouldn't be a bad argument, you know, because yeah. Taven has had a, a hell of a, you know, I mean, he's had a hell of a run too. But that, but that's what I mean when I go, there aren't too many guys that you could pick out and go, oh, well, he had a better year because there ain't. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. And it's just, I'm talking from an all around, you know, performance standpoint too. It's what you've done in the ring, uh, what you've done on the microphone, uh, just the way you guys carry yourselves. I think, um, yeah. I mean, again, I've, I've said this publicly, so I'm not just saying this to you now, but yeah, you and Taven, I thought really, really stepped up in 2019. Not that other guys, obviously there, there are plenty of people on our roster who also had great years. Um, I mean, look at our roster from top to bottom. It's, it's pretty unbelievable, but I thought as far as really standing out kind of above the crowd a little bit was, was certainly you two. Let me ask you though, real quickly, uh, about a diff another guy who's, um, just come into ROH recently. It's a guy that we actually had two weeks ago on the ROH Strong podcast. And I know that probably sticks in your crawl that we had him on before we had you on. Um, just of course, a I'm talking neck, just a little bit. <laughs> of course, I'm talking about EC3. And uh, we talked about you a little bit on that show. I don't know if you got a chance to hear I it. I listened to every word of it. Okay. Well, he mentioned that you two guys do have a history, both from the Cleveland area, obviously. Uh, let me hear what, uh, from your perspective, uh, your impressions of EC3, your history with EC3. I have known EC3 probably the better part of my adult life. The, probably the same, a little bit less time than I've known Ray Rowe, the man who helped train me, you know, my big brother, godfather to my kids. Um, and EC3, especially when I was coming into the scene, he was correct. He was sort of on his way out. And from what I gathered, he was sort of already dubbed the guy. He, you know, he looked the best. He was jacked, had his six pack, you know, had his baby oil on him at all times. What, and <laughs> what, you know, I mean, and, and all that jazz, he was the guy, he was the one that was dubbed, the one that was going to make it. He was going to be the star. And he did so, you know, and, and he went on to do everything that everybody thought he was going to do. But where I come in is I wasn't that guy. People didn't see that for me. And yet here we are, fast forward to 2020, and he's walking in the Ring of Honor. He's walking into my house. He's walking into Shane T's house. And now the guy that everybody knew was going to be a star and the guy that nobody thought was going to be a star are looking dead across the ring from each other. Yeah. And I, I tell you, I can't wait uh, to see that this coming weekend uh, on ROH television, we're going to see the six man tag team match with EC three and the Briscoes against 
Shane Taylor and uh, the Soldiers of Savagery. Um, I know that match has already happened. It hasn't aired yet. We're not going to give away any spoilers, but uh, certainly one I'm looking forward to. So I guess you sort of brought this up, but I'll just, I don't know, sort of uh, reiterate. Uh, You've been here. You you had to scratch and crawl and claw to get to where you are for sure. You really did take exception. Here comes EC3. He's got these videos that are announcing his impending arrival. Um, you never got videos, obviously, before you came. Um, he walks in, uh, is handed a microphone in the middle of the pure tournament, and gets to speak mm-hmm. with whatever's on his mind. Um, mm-hmm. You you came up through you know dark matches and not even getting on TV for a while. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing it was no uh, coincidence that you happened to be standing there when EC3 came through the curtain. Nothing I do is random. Kevin, you know, this, everything I do is calculated. Everything I do is for a reason. I wanted to make sure that I positioned myself in the exact place that I needed to be, because this is typical of what ring of honor does. Instead of looking at the guys who are busting their ass and proving to you day in and day out, that they've got what it takes to carry everything on their back. They always tend to be looking outside of Ring of Honor for the answer. And so you bring in EC3. You bring in all these other guys. And I wanted to let him know, day one, this isn't like anywhere else you've ever been. When you walk into Ring of Honor, like I told him then, Wipe your feet before you walk in my house. But it's funny because I sit back and I think about, you know, when you compared my year to Taven. And I think Taven held the Ring of Honor World Championship. Something I have yet to do. A a, a feat that only one other person that I even compare myself to has been able to do, and that's Jay Lethal. Now. You sit back and you would ask yourself, why, why is that? Especially after the last two and a half years that I've had. Why would that be? And I'm sitting here, it's like, maybe because I'm confident. Maybe because I'm brash. Maybe because I'm arrogant. Maybe because I'm ambitious. Too ambitious for some. But if you put those character traits in any of my contemporaries, Ring of Honor officials would be falling over themselves to hand me the Ring of Honor World Championship. but that's okay because I've always had to work harder than the next guy three times harder five times harder ten times harder whatever the case may be I've always had to do that so it would only be right that my path to the ring of honor world championship be the exact same way well one thing EC3 said last week that maybe you will agree with is that um, you don't want anybody to hand you anything and certainly in your case, that couldn't be more true. No one has handed you anything at any point in your career. So I guess, will it, will it be that much sweeter? Um, and let, let's just say when. Let's not even say if. When you get to that point where you are Ring of Honor World Champion, because I actually believe that will happen. Um, will it be sweeter because of the journey, because it wasn't, handed to you and you weren't necessarily the hand-picked guy who was anointed as as the one oh 100 100 when i'm standing there 
holding that championship, not being the one they wanted, but being the one that got the job done, being the one that went out there and proved it, that's going to make it all the sweeter, to be able to look in the eyes of those officials, to be able to look in the eyes of those who never wanted it to happen and just sit back and say, I told you so. <laughs> oh, come on. You're not the kind of guy to say, I told you so. Are you Shane? Well, me? No, never. Never. <laughs> of course not. Ne- ne- never would I be that guy. Never would I be that petty. <laughs> but if I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we move on from this uh, six-man tag that's coming up, uh, I want to ask you about uh, SOS, Soldiers of Savagery. Now, obviously, in this six-man tag team match, we have you, uh, former world television champion, one of the top guys here, the Briscoes, goes without saying. We don't have to talk about their resume. And obviously EC3, as you said, a guy who's been other places, accomplished a lot of things. SOS, really, though, they're th- this is such a huge spot for them. Can you just talk about that? Do you think they're ready for this? If I didn't think they were ready, they wouldn't be in the match with me. But I've had the utmost confidence in their in their abilities since I brought them with me back in Columbus. And while we're on the subject, let's talk about the accolades of the Briscoes. You're talking about the 12-time Ring of Honor Tag Team Champion. You're talking about a guy in Jay Briscoe, former two-time Ring of Honor World Champion. You're talking about the former six-man Tag Team Champions. They've done damn near everything there is to do in Ring of Honor. They are the standard, arguably one of the best tag teams ever, any company, any era. That's who Khan and Moses are stepping in the ring with, and I have the utmost confidence that standing by my side, the three of us, with all the accolades those men have, are going to do what we do, beat that ass, and walk out the winners of that match, the winners of that fight. That's how much faith I have in them. Well, and I think that faith is well-founded. I'm, I'm no uh, stranger to those guys. Uh, they came up in Maryland Championship Wrestling, a promotion I've been affiliated with. So I literally saw them come in when they were training. Um, and to see them go from green and training and not, you know, before they ever really stepped into a ring to where they are now, standing next to you, going in there against the Briscoes in EC3. Um, it really is. I mean, that it didn't take them long, honestly, um, to get to where they are because you could just see it pretty much from day one that they both had the raw skills, even though mm-hmm. they didn't have the experience. But more importantly, I think they have the right attitude. 100%. And mentality and attitude are everything. They soak up everything like a sponge. They are eager to be better, eager to improve, eager to progress. Each time they go out there, they get better. Each time they pick up a microphone, they get better. And for me, I feel as though like I invested into a company that's about to boom and I got in on on, on the ground floor. That's what I feel like. You know what I mean? Um, so I'm I'm excited, super excited to see what they do and see how they progress. And I, I get to step back and be able to sort of guide that, help them avoid some landmines like other people were uh, able to help me avoid um, and just watch their success. Well, that's another good point, you know, helping them along the way, because uh, it's certainly I mean, it's incredibly valuable for them 
to be associated with a guy like you, not just because, hey, they get to stand next to the, you know, uh, one of the top guys here, but they get to learn from you. They get to be around you, soak up your knowledge. As you said, they're like sponges. Um, and, and really, you know, they had good training. I know that for a fact, but this is sort of the second part of their, this is like a uh, higher education, I guess you could call it that, uh, you know, you really get to show them the ropes, uh, no pun intended. Uh, and they get to see how a true professional conducts himself, which obviously can only benefit them in the long run. Of course. And this is more like, uh, when you liken it to coming out of college, right? Nothing really prepares you for on the job training and circumstances like being on the job, right? right. You can learn all the theory, you can learn all of the, um, you know, policy work that you want to in the classroom. More than likely, 95% of that doesn't apply when you get into the real world. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so learning on the job and that experience uh, is invaluable. And they are absolutely crushing it when it comes to that they are taking everything every step every every success every misstep every mistake learning from it improving on it and it, it's man it's going to be something special all right well we are just getting started here on the rh strong podcast with shane taylor we've got a lot more to talk about we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with more right after this Experience the show that's thrilling critics and fans. ROH TV. The reviews are in. It's completely different than anything in pro wrestling. I enjoyed every minute of this show. ROH TV delivers. Valiant Saint Raves. Take my money. This was awesome. Join the ROH stars for the hashtag watch ROH watch party every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest, of course, is the CEO of Shane Taylor Promotions. Shane Taylor. Shane, I got it right this time. You, you damn right you got it right this time. Good <laughs> job, Kevin. Had you got it wrong again, I'd have had to make some calls and get a new person here on this podcast because that would have been ridiculous. But congratulations. All right. Well, thank you. Um, I want to go, go to a, a little different direction here. We'll get back to wrestling uh, certainly later in this podcast. But first, I want to talk about um, really uh, what's going on, current events, because I know that you are you are very much um, outspoken uh, about your feelings about different things on social media uh, regarding things going on in the world, uh, social justice. So let me just talk to you about that um, using your platform. Um what is your approach to that? What are your What are your thoughts on? I mean, obviously, you have this voice. Uh, right. Some people like to talk about things. Some people don't. Uh, right. Your Your take on that? I have never been shy of words when it comes to using that platform. Just like you said, uh, I come from a place where a lot of these issues I've seen firsthand. I've experienced firsthand. I know details and experiences that the average person doesn't know and that's what's sort of frustrating about a lot of this when you're talking to the general public because a lot of these things come down to personal feelings bias and perspective right you can't explain to a person that has never seen police corruption 
or seen police brutality up close or seen so- somebody killed by the police or have seen what that does to the family, what that does to the community, what that does to their children. You can't explain to them these things because they've never they, they, they've never seen it. They've never experienced it for them. And for a lot of people, we're, we're in, you know, 1960s Mayberry when it comes to this. And in reality, that's just not the case. Right. And you could. The best thing that I can try to do and that most can try to do is educate people to reality, educate people to history. Um, so much of our history is sort of done in this Disneyland rose colored glasses sort of way that makes people think, oh, well, things weren't as bad as they were. And that's just simply not true. They were horrific. They were horrific then. They're horrific now. All of this stuff just didn't come out of nowhere. It's just now we have the technology to be able to record it. And you've got to think, if it's happening this much now that people know they're being recorded, what were they doing before? Right. when you think about these things, it's it, it, it's infuriating to watch, to listen to some of the responses because you're like, how is there any level of humanity in you to know things like this are happening and to support it or even cheer it on? It makes absolute no sense to me. But then they'll be the same ones to judge other people and, you know, come up with every name in the book for what they think they are. But yet, they have no they they have no idea, man. They they just have no idea. Most most people wouldn't have survived the day where I grew up. And I do want to talk to you about your uh, your upbringing in, in a second. But first, I do want to mention that uh, you speak about these issues uh, very eloquently. We had a uh, a show a while back uh, called the ROH Roundtable, in mm-hmm. which uh, it was you and Jay Lethal. Kenny King, Jonathan Gresham, Caprice Coleman, and uh, hosted by Ian Riccoboni with a very, a very frank and uh, open discussion about uh, race in America today, about police corruption, uh, about race in the professional wrestling business. And I encourage anyone out there, um, if, if you're interested in, in maybe learning more about these subjects or if you're interested in hearing different perspectives, um, it's still available on ROH's YouTube channel. Um, again, I'm, I would encourage you to uh, to check it out and listen to it. It's the ROH Roundtable. Uh, and we I, need I wanna, to do another one. Absolutely. There's no question about that. I want to ask you this question, though, uh, before we get to your upbringing. I want to ask you about being a father, and you're a father of young children. Right. Did your perspective change at all when you became a father as far as, as, far as you know, all these issues go? Man. Um, growing up where I did, the mentality that I had for a long time was sort of very kamikaze-esque. You know what I mean? You, you go through life, you do what you do. If something happens, oh, well. Now, that's completely changed now that I have children. Because now I've got two people that need me to survive, that need me to live, not even just live, but to be successful and thrive because what I do directly impacts their future. And so that's completely changed my perspective on life. You know, other said, people that know me well, 
um, know that I'm not someone that shies away from confrontation. Um, I sort of not seek it out, but I address it when it's there. Um, so uh, picking when and where I do that now are paramount because, again, I've got two baby girls at home and the last thing that my story needs to say is, you know, some punk ass dude, you know, took their father away from them, which wouldn't happen easily. I can promise you, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, it's, it's growing up that way is one thing, but I put myself in, in, in a position to where they don't have to grow up the same way I did, but at some point in their life, raising young black women, they're going to have to face the same things that I faced in society and preparing them for that is tough because it's heartbreaking. I remember sitting down and I was looking at the George Floyd case and looking at, I forget what channel it was, but to have my, she was five at the time, walk walk up and she understands to a degree what's going on. Ask me, daddy, are the police going to get me too? Man, when I tell you I almost lost it, bro, like all I yeah. all I could do was hug her and let her know that if I have anything to do with it, that that'll never happen. Well, you know? I, I yeah, I can't even I can't even imagine as a father myself of two girls. Um, man, I just I can't imagine I'm that conversation. Up right right now, I can feel the goosebumps coming. You know what I mean? Like it's just, yeah. man, whew, the destruction that would happen. If someone touched one of my kids, man, Woo, boy. Yeah, I hear you on that. And look, I'm not a tough. I'm no near, nowhere near as tough as you are, Shane. But I tell you what, uh, it's when like it comes, that, to, yeah, when it comes to your kids, yeah, man, yeah, because because you hear about those cases where moms can lift cars off of kids. You know what I mean? Like when exactly. it comes to your babies, man. Like there is there's a different level that humans reach. Yes. And when people are sitting here trying to tell me, well. And this is not to condone anything, not to condone anything or give a pass for it. It's like, well, how how can this be happening and this be happening? I go, what if someone touched your kids? What if what if someone killed your kids? Oh, well, I do this. Okay, apply that to millions of people. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That's where people are at mentally. They've been seeing this for hundreds of years. The same community been seeing this for hundreds of years. Millions of people are thinking the exact same thing you're thinking if someone was hurting your babies. That's a great way to put it. And, and, you know, that's a, that's the kind of thing where you sort of have to ask people to empathize and put yourself in someone else's shoes. Theoretically, obviously you can't literally walk a mile in anyone else's shoes. You just can't. Uh, But you can try to at least understand. And, and it's, it's, it's things like that where you say, imagine if it happened to you, that's where you have to confront it. And uh, yeah, right. what would I do if it happened to me? So Because in their heads, like, oh, well, these are just bad people. Da, da, da. They don't, I'm like, what if someone touched your kids? Well, I'd bury them. What do you think they're thinking? <laughs> <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like, this, this doesn't, like, we aren't different. You know what I mean? For, for as, as, as much differences as we have culturally when it comes to the base roots of humanity, we're all the same, man. We're all the same. We just want to be happy healthy, take care of our kids, make sure they're successful and set them up 
to be better in the long run than we were. That's it. That's all we want to do. That's absolutely well said. Well said. I want to ask you, though, about um, I want to touch on this a little bit. You growing up in Cleveland, East Cleveland, which is a rough area. You've talked about it to some extent, and I don't know how much you want to get into it, but you said that you've you know seen things that nobody should really see. If you could give us maybe just a couple snapshots, um, if you feel comfortable doing that, of some of the experiences that you had and, and you know, how they how they shaped you. I mean, typical day. I remember vividly to this day, me and my cousin um, and, and for those that are from Cleveland that hear this, there's a difference between East Cleveland and East Side Cleveland. I was East Side Cleveland. East Cleveland is more of uh, not necessarily a suburb, but but it's more of a nicer area. Um, but but that's all. That's only things you're gonna know if you're from Cleveland. <laughs> uh, so, me and my cousin were walking to the gas station, which was a couple blocks away from where uh, they were staying on East Thirty Fifth, um, and we saw a guy laid out in the parking lot, bleeding, head to toe. I want to say he was still alive. I can't quite remember, but I do want to say he was alive. And I remember nobody really caring. Like, not, like, not, like nobody was really, like, in the parking lot trying to help him. Like, they just went on about their day. I remember we walked in, got two, got two pops for a 25 cent a piece, and walked out. And just walked back and went back to playing or doing whatever it is that we were doing. And it's not until <laughs> you you move on in life, right? And I tell stories like that. And I look across the table and people's eyes are open and their mouths are dropped. And I'm like, what is wrong with y'all? And they're like, homie, that's not normal. <laughs> <laughs> like, you shouldn't just be okay with that. And I was like, what? Like, oh, this happens to everybody, right? And they're like, no, it doesn't. It doesn't happen to everybody, you know, but I mean, there's, there's so many stories like that, that I could tell, you know, there's so many stories of, you know, people trying to rob me and, and have, and have, and to go back and, you know, family being hurt and killed over stuff and needing to go, you know, take care of situations to protect your family. Like there's, there's a million stories that I could share, but um, this is why I say perspective is everything because a lot of people, when they judge people like myself, when they judge people or where people come from, they don't understand the decision-making process is different because you're not just trying to lead a good life and work hard and raise your kids. You're doing all of that, but you're trying to survive. You're trying to see tomorrow. And so their morality versus your morality can miss on some areas, especially when it comes to survival. So obviously things could have turned out much differently for you than they did. And I know, um, I think you and I have talked about this. You and, and I, you may have said it in other uh, on other interviews, but you kind of hit there was a, a crossroads, right? You kind of there was a fork in the road where you had to go one way uh, or the other way. And I know that your father uh, played a role in which way that that you went. Can you talk about that, the decision that you made and why, you know, you didn't end up as a, a statistic 
and you know you're a successful man now you're a family man uh, talk about when you reached that fork in the road yeah i mean i i remember that day he sat me down on the couch and you know my my dad and uncles had a reputation of their own and i think me and my cousins were taking it upon ourselves to sort of to exceed that name and not necessarily in the best of ways um but again it's because of that mindset you know what i mean when your last name is what ours is people try to test you because they damn sure don't want to test them you know what i mean so right uh we we had to make sure that we upheld that name and did so with the same level of you know uh, of reputation that preceded us and that was causing a lot of issues and my dad sat me down and told me then he's like look if this is the way you want to go it's not what i want for you but if this is what you want to do i'll show you how to be the best at it but there is no retirement plan to this there is no 401k there is no there there are no happy gangsters you know what i mean there are no happy and retired gangsters it's going to be lifelong paranoia it is going to be lifelong revenge no one you don't know if you can trust anybody and you know worst case example you have two choices you either die or you go to jail but that's where 99 percent of this is going to end up so knowing all of that you can take that route or you can be a better man than i was and do better than i did and my my dad to me is superman you know what i mean so i took that challenge as something serious okay how can i try to go out and do something he couldn't do or be better not 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 a better person but try to be better more positive and try to take that next step in elevating our family to getting to where you know, we can start to build these things that end some of these cycles, you know what I mean? That, you know, build that generational wealth, build, you know, build these things that help the next generation move forward. And and we get to a point where progress can be made. Um, So that's the, that's the route that I took. And this is why I tell people when they try to go, well, you know, you're successful. I go, yes, I've had to work hard. Yes, I busted my ass, but I'm also still extremely lucky because i had the people in my life at the right moment at the right time when things were going left to sort of steer me back you know my my dad was one of the first i've had other relatives do the same ray ray Rowe has done it on multiple occasions you know what i mean so um i'm i'm as hard as i've worked i'm still extremely lucky how old were you when you had that conversation with your father this was probably 16, 17, around that time. Okay. Um, you know, that's, your, that's when I re- really made the push that, okay, well then, if, if, I, if I'm going to do this, college has got to be the choice, and, you know, let's, let's really start gearing up for that. And you ended up going to, uh, you ended up playing college football, correct? Yeah, and, and wrestling uh, at Slippery Rock okay. University. Okay, now is your dad uh, still with us? Yes, he is. Yes. So he got to see. He got. That is, yeah. He got to see your success. Yeah, yeah. My my dad has been able to come to some of the shows in Texas. 
I, I don't think he's been able to come to any Ring of Honor shows yet. Um, but my goal is to try to get a show back in Cleveland and be able to get the whole family to come out because uh, they're a wild bunch. Uh, but um, <laughs> he, he's, been able, he's been able to see me at some shows. Um, he was able to see a smaller show that I did in Cleveland uh, and some shows in the Illyria area. Um, uh, for mega championship wrestling. Um, but man, to be able to see the pride on his face for, for, for something that I told him was a dream of mine when I was a kid. And I, and I, and I don't mean that in the cliche sense, like I got kicked out of preschool for wrestling. Me and my cousin Walter, um, kind of beat two kids up, you know, and there may or may not have been an elbow drop from the top of a table. You know what I mean? Macho man style. Uh, <laughs> but again, allegedly. <laughs> but, uh, to be able to see me, to see my name in Forbes articles, Sports Illustrated articles, Newsweek articles, you know, and all, all, all these, not to leave anybody out, but to see my name and my story in all these avenues, to have his name in, in you know, Sports Illustrated was something he couldn't do as an athlete, right? And he'll tell you that. So to, to see me in there, you know what I mean? And, you know, just, just gives him all the joy in the world and all the pride in the world. And I'm happy to be able to give that to him. Well, and not to mention, you know, articles written uh, on the ROHwrestling.com website and being the 29th guest on the ROH Strong podcast, also a source of pride. Also. Maybe. Very yeah. true. All right. All right. Well, we're going to take our second break. We've got so much more to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, Shane's wrestling career, of course, right after this. Hi, I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Tuesday for brand new episodes as we catch up on all of the groundbreaking ROH news and get exclusive comments from some of your favorite ROH stars. We also have some great weekly segments like Question of the Week, This Day in History, and Brian Zane's Top 5. Join me every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ring of honor for week by week. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is the CEO of Shane Taylor Promotions, Shane Taylor. So we, when we left off uh, before the break, we talked about how you decided you wanted to go to college, you played college football and wrestled. At what point do you decide... Um, I want to be a professional wrestler. So I left college and had two choices. Uh, I was like, all right, I, I, I can go get a real job. But I think the people that know me best know I'm not some nine to five dude. Like, um, I, I just I don't see the appeal to it. Like, it, it's if you can't beat my ass, you can't tell me what to do. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't, you can't, you, you, you can suggest things. We can talk about things. You can ask me to do things, but you know what I'm talking about, man. Like some boss just point, like finger pointing your chest. You need to have this in by like, who the hell are you talking to? I'll slap the shit out of you. Like, <laughs> um, so that, that's just never been me, man. So, uh, it was either that or, you know, try to go to the Olympics and, and really put my all into amateur wrestling or maybe try out for the NFL as a long snapper, which I, which I can do very, very well still. 
which is something I, I may even try <laughs> in the future just to go and be like, hey, you know, tried it. Um, but yeah, like I, I saw because I was living in Pittsburgh at the time and I saw that there was a company called the International Wrestling Cartel. So I decided to go to a show because I had never seen independent wrestling. You know, the only way I knew how to get in was WWE at that time. Right. But even then, I didn't know how to get in there. It just I knew that's that that was really the only place. Or at least I thought that. But then I started learning about independent wrestling, went to that show, found out about Ring of Honor. And I remember at that show, there were two guys, one by the name of J-Rock, one by the name of Ray Rowe. And they were a tag team called the Cleveland Mafia. And once I figured out, oh, they are from Cleveland and the fact that my high school wrestled Ray's high school. Uh, I actually wrestled Ray in high school. Um, and, you know, he won, but I was sick and hurt that day. You know what I mean? So it is what it is. Right. Of course. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so once I saw that, I, I started to ask questions about how the whole thing worked and, 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 what, and what the process was. And, you know, thank God for them. They took me on under their wing and uh, taught me, trained me, put, put me in the best position to be successful, raised the reason that I moved down to Texas in the first place. Um, and moving down here was the best career move ever because it got me not only in front of Ring of Honor eyes, but uh, in Louisiana with Wildcat Sports and Luke Hawks. Uh, he's been a able to put me in great spots to be successful, allowed me to be in uh, TV shows and do stunt work and, and provide for my family that way. Um, so he's been an integral part of this as well. Um, so yeah, man, it's just been, it, it's been a crazy, crazy ride. <laughs> now that I just sit back and kind of think about it. So I just learned something about you that I didn't know you did stunt work in films. I don't think you, I've ever heard you say that before. What was, how I, did you, I, uh... did, I did a TV show called quarry. Um, okay. and I'm going to say it was like season two, episode seven or something like that. It, it was, man, it was a hell of an experience. Stunts, man, stunt, stunt people get paid, bro. <laughs> Don't let anybody, <laughs> like, they get paid. Like, I remember sitting back going, damn, did I pick the wrong career? Like, <laughs> that, That's what I was going to say, man. Why, why not bro, why not do the stunt man thing? And it wasn't nothing, like, crazy. Like, it was, there was, like, no explosive, no none of that. I'm sure they get paid even crazier to do all yeah. that. Like, but... Like, I remember we were there for like a week. I remember the first like four or five days, it was like we were in the bubble. Like we didn't really get to do anything. We were kind of just chilling in, in the rooms, eating great room service. You know what I mean? But that day that we had, bro, that day that we filmed though, it was 16, 17 hours of, all right, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do that. So that was a tough day, but I was like, it's still really only one day of work. You know what I mean? And it, yeah. You know, I'm still getting paid from it. You know, I'd, I'd still get checks. So it's like, all right. Oh, good stuff. I'm going to have to check that out. I'm going to, the, the quarry, is that what the show was called? Q-U-A-R-R-Y, like, like, like rock. Okay. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Okay, so let me get, get back to your, your uh, budding wrestling career for a second. So um, you go on the indies, and I think you were on the indies, I mean, what was it, like six, seven years, right? Before you got your opportunity with Ring of Honor. How did the ROH opportunity 
come about? Uh, yeah, I've been in the Midwest in Cleveland for like seven, eight years. And, you know, kind of was just feeling like I was stagnant because when you're in this sport, you need to be able to be pushed by people who are leaps and bounds better than you in order to improve. That's how you see holes in your game. Anybody will tell you that. And at that point in time, the scene wasn't really popping the way it is now. And at that at that point in time, there were great people there, but I feel like we were all on the same level. There was nobody there that was really going to push me to be that much better. Um, and so coming down to Texas was in a chance to restart, um, reinvent, re energize and refocus. And Ray Rowe was in ring of honor. And so a lot of this, a lot of my career, really all of it, and the success that I've had is due to him because uh, he was able to put me in position to have eyes on me, whereas they may not have been. Um, and then I made sure that we did the work that was needed and performed the way I needed to in order to uh, continue uh, to have those eyes on me. You know, Kevin Kelly was a big part of that as well. I know he, he was one of my biggest uh, advocates when I came in. Um, and, and so to be able to have guys like that in, in your corner is great. Um, and then once I got here, it was myself and, and, and Keith Lee. That's kind of what finally had it clicked for the two of us to get into ring of honor. They put us together. We had our matches infused with war Mach with, yeah, with war machine at the time. Now Viking Raiders fame. Um, and for me, one of the best views that they've had in, in recent years was that one. And it wasn't something that people expected a lot out of. That's that's really what I enjoy so much about my run is that you've got so many people, whether it be the ones in suits or the ones sitting in the seats that for whatever reason, don't expect the things that I do to be as good as they are to be as successful as I am. And yet every single time I prove what I can do. And yet somehow, somehow people are still sitting back going, well, prove it to me again. And I don't get it, but I'll gladly do it. Well, I will say this, I, and, and what you're saying is accurate. Although I think there are far fewer doubters now uh, than there were at one time. I think I think a lot of eyes have been opened and I'm sure everybody still has their doubters or their critics. But uh, I think you've made you, you've converted a lot of people in the last couple of years, for sure. Well, I try, man. You know what I mean? But honestly, like like I was talking about the, the world championship thing, if I perform best when there's a chip on my shoulder, so I can't even really be mad about it. Like while it's frustrating, I also need it. Because right. I need that person to be standing there saying, I don't want you to do it. I can't. I, I, I don't think you can or I, I don't think you will. I need that person because that drives me. Um, and granted, there are some athletes who can just have that, all, that, that drive already in them, right? I, for whatever reason, I need to be irked. I need to have that chip on my shoulder to bring the best out of me. So... Um, I can't even really be mad. I, I kind of thank them for doing what they do because they allow me to be this successful. Well, I want to ask you too about, you know, since we've been talking about Keith Lee, 
Um, you guys were the pretty boy killers. You you wrestled a lot of dark matches, I guess, to uh, kind of... Was that like uh, tryouts in a sense? Or was it kind of um, explained to you that, hey, we're going to use you guys on TV, but we want to um, have you work some of these dark matches first? Uh I'm not really 100% sure still to this day, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I feel as though since we kept coming back, we're going to assume that the first couple were, were tryouts. And once they liked what they saw and felt they had something, then, you know, things progressed. Once we started getting flown places, we were like, okay, we're, we're, we're doing something right. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, once, once we started to hit milestones like that, uh, and once they started like, getting paperwork and, 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 and doing stuff like that, then we are like, okay, we're where we need to be, you know what I mean? And things are progressing the way they should. So, um, well, that, and that, that was, that was good. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say next thing, you know, um, not only are you guys on ring of honor television, but you're working with teams like, as you said, war machine, uh, and the Briscoes. I mean, so if that right. wasn't, you know, that had to be a indication of okay, th- there's something going on here. Absolutely, and 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 being being trusted, especially to be new, and be trusted to go out there with guys like lie like that, told us the level of expectation that they had for us, or what they wanted us to be able to become, and. You know, we took that and took those opportunities and said, okay, and we gave it our absolute all. And I think to this day, you know, that that um, that street fight that we had in San Antonio is right up there with some of the best matches that they've had in, in, in recent memory. Uh, and obviously, anytime you get in there with the Briscoes, it, it is an absolute battle, you know, as as we're about to find out here very, very soon. Um, and yeah, man, it, it, it's been an incredible ride. And from what I hear, and, and this is just, this is all rumor. Had things, you know, gone a little differently, I, I did hear that there was maybe some plan for us and the Young Bucks, which wow. would have been absolutely insane. To that, think would have been, that would have been incredible, for sure. Right. And that and I, I still got to go out and, and, and step into the ring with them later. But as you think of like tag team dynamic and like that would have been. That would have been fun. Yeah, no question about it. No question about it. Well, just as you guys were really um, starting to get somewhere, uh, Keith Lee gets an opportunity to go elsewhere. And now the pretty boy killers are no more. Keith Lee leaves Ring of Honor. Uh, you're left behind. What was your mindset at that point? Was it like, okay, um, now I get, I'm going to have to prove it on my own? Or was there any doubt in your mind at that point when, when the tag team got broken up? Just what was, what was the initial reaction? Um, there was no doubt. My, from the conversations that I've had with Keith, we talked about that. Our, our goal when we formed the team was for us to both make careers out of this obviously it would have been optimal at the time for it to be together you know what i mean but the goal was still reached none you know all the same and for me it's my job to be a star with him here or with him not here so nothing really changed on my end 
and, and what allowed me to sort of ease my mind a bit about that uh, was Kevin Kelly. And he wanted, he emphasized this to me on multiple times. He's like, hey, the contract that you're getting is because of you. Yes, we're, yes, we're high on, on the both of you, but this deal is not, you know, dependent upon him being here. This is your deal. You know what I mean? So um, that meant the world to me that he was able to and, and wanted to let me know, hey, we have the utmost confidence in you to be successful here. You keep doing what you're doing and things are going to be fine. Right. So uh, huge hats off to him for that, because uh, that's not something he had to do. You know what I mean? So uh, having that confidence let me know, OK, there's a reason I'm here. There's a reason they want me here. Now I have to go out there and just figure out what my lane is. Yeah, and certainly you did that. I mean, and Keith did that. Keith went on to success in uh, WWE. Well, first he, w- he went to Evolve, then on to WWE, NXT, uh, of course, first. Um, and, and he became a champion. Uh, and then you became a singles champion, or you became a singles champion first, I believe. Uh, either right. way. You guys both became singles champions. So uh, amazing to see just how far you guys came from working dark matches to uh, getting on Ring of Honor TV. And then both you guys winning singles championships really showed that what the company saw in you uh, was certainly well-founded, whether you know, it was Kevin Kelly or whoever else had a hand in, uh, in, in signing you guys. Uh, you, you guys have certainly fulfilled uh, that promise and that potential. Let me ask you, after the Pretty Boy Killers are no more and you're kind of doing your own thing, you then end up in the Rebellion. Uh, right. Guys weren't together very long, but it started off, and uh, and I've talked about this with, uh, with Kenny and Caprice when they were on the show. Um, it started off as almost something that wasn't to be taken seriously. I guess you guys were the cabinet first. Then it became serious when you guys were the rebellion. What were your thoughts when this uh, when this whole thing started and how it kind of transitioned? Well, when they, when Kent and Rhett were doing the cabinet, I, I I feel as though that that's a fair assessment. People weren't taking them serious, and Kenny King and Rhett Titus are both very serious athletes. Um, and when you add in Caprice and they form the rebellion. I remember it getting a, a lot of um, a lot of attention early. I don't necessarily think it was positive, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> then they decided to add me to the group. And because again, a, a lot of us have, you know, very similar ideas and ideologies when it comes to society and it comes to how we want to see the world. Um, and when and synergy is everything when when you're on a team. So uh, to be able to be around those guys, learn from them and, and, and Kenny, and I've said this on multiple occasions, you know, him being able to uh, s- sort of show me where the landmines are in R- an ROH and, and avoid them and, 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 and continue my path upward was phenomenal. And to this day, especially in the times that we're in, the rebellion was a group that was probably a year and a half, two years before its time, um, because a lot of the same things that we were saying then, we're still saying now, 
and people are starting to see just exactly what we were talking about. Uh, but they just weren't ready to hear it then. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so after the rebellion ends, you're back on your own again, which I think at the time uh, it was it may have been for the best. Right. Because you got to really be on your own. Uh, Kenny as well. It seemed like the group was only going to get so far. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that ultimately ended up being a, being a good thing. When you first went on your own again, you started playing. Um, you were being portrayed as kind of a hitman for hire where people right. needed a problem solved. You were that guy. But what mm-hmm. I thought was really interesting was that there was an underlying storyline is we got your motivation. It wasn't just one dimensional uh, pay me and I'll take somebody out for you. It was right. why you were doing it, which was that, you know, you were you needed to feed your family and you would do whatever you had to do to feed your family. So you had this multidimensional character rather than mm-hmm. a one note bad guy. Uh, he beats people up for money. There was a right. well, here's why he does that. Was right. that was that your idea to bring that element to the character of of the motivation for why he was doing what he's doing? One hundred percent, especially when you're dealing with professional wrestling, when it comes to how it portrays people of color, especially African American men and women. There tends to be very one note characters, very, very simple, very easy to understand characters. You know, you'll have this guy. Oh, he's a pimp. You have this guy. Oh, he's a gangster. You, oh, you have the, this guy. Oh, he sings and dances. Da, 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 da. There is more to our culture than that. There are more to our people than that. We have depth of character. We have intellect. We have the ability to be cunning. We have everything that our counterparts have. It's just most of the people that we market to don't understand that culture. And a lot of people are able to get away with having these stereotypical characters. And because they can argue the business side of it, well, you know, if our crowd can't understand it, it's hard for us to market it. It's hard for us to make money off of it. But then it comes down to effort and essentially just being lazy, right? If you want to tell your crowd something or you want to explain something, you have every avenue and every tool to do so. If you don't, then you're just simply choosing not to, right? So it was very important and it's still very, and it still is for me to never be a stereotypical character or to, or to show anybody that any young child that, or anybody that on TV from me. They get that constantly. They get that in movies. They get that in TV. They get that in music. They get the stereotypical what people think our culture is. And it's the furthest thing from the truth. So I always wanted to make sure that I give people an element of realness and reality for things that I do. Yes, if you pay me, I will beat this person up for money. But when you think about it, it makes me no different than any boxer, any fighter, or anybody else. Anybody that plays football, my job is to go out and punish the opponent and get paid to do so. And I do so because I have two girls at home that need me to do so. So if it's a guy you don't like, hey, great. Congratulations. If it's a guy you do like, sorry about your luck. <laughs> but regardless of, regardless of the fact he's in there with Shane T., and he's going to get an ass with me. I think there was a 
turning point. Well, you've had several turning points in your career, I think, in Ring of Honor. Um, I think another one was when you had your ma- you had some matches against Jeff Cobb and Bandito. That's when I got the sense that it opened eyes um, amongst fans, maybe even amongst management. Did you get right. that sense that those matches against Cobb and Bandito kind of took Shane Taylor to another level as far as perception? Well, that was like a perfect storm of stuff because there was first, there was a lot of a, a, a match that I'm super happy with that was great that kind of gets slept on because the Cobb match happened right after uh, was the match with Hangman Page. Yeah. Uh, I had that match and then had the match with Cobb in Philly and we tore the house down. I went into it and I've, I've said this before when I asked what the parameters were, they kind of just said, go out and do whatever. You got free reign. And I was like, okay, you up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's, not what you want to tell me, not in this, not in this state of mind, you know what I mean? Um, and I made it a, a point to let people know I had a point to prove and, and, and I wanted to do that that night and talk to Cobb. He agreed. Um, and we went out there and we did it, you know what I mean? And so the, the buzz from the hangman match, the buzz from the Cobb match. And then I went over to the UK for like six weeks after that. And so then I started creating buzz o- over there at Rev Pro and Southside and IPW. And thank you to uh, Ben Ald and, and, and Billy Wood and Andy Quilden for allowing me to uh, have those platforms there. Um, uh, WAW Academy for, for housing me for six, for six weeks. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that all the nights. Um, and yeah, so once I came back, there was buzz from the page match, the Cobb match, my U- my UK trip, and then it seemed as though all of a sudden, people realized they had a guy that could go out and be that five tool player and do everything that they needed to get done. Um, so yeah, that that was a turning point, but it was something that I had been saying I could do, and it took you know. I guess er, all of that for people to finally understand that I, I, I wasn't just talking trash. Like I can really, I'm, I'm a great performer and this is what I do. And all of that eventually leads to you getting the world television title, uh, which when you think about it, you look at some of the, uh, when you look at the history of ring of honor, it, it really is an honor, no pun intended, uh, right. to be given that, that privilege really of being the world television champion what did that mean to you? And, you know, people can say what they want about, you know, winning, quote unquote, winning titles in wrestling or, or whatever. But what did that mean to you that the company believed in you enough at that point to be the television champion? I mean, like, I, like I've said before, in my, in my career, as far as legacy goes, I'm only chasing two people, you know, and that's Kenny King and Jay Lethal both men who have helped me tremendously in my career, both men who I feel don't get talked about enough when it comes to um, being excellent ambassadors and champions in in their own right. Um, And so to be the only third African-American male to hold the Ring of Honor World Television Championship in the 
almost 20 year history of the company meant I was able to take a step towards reaching those legacies um, to be able to go on the type of run that I did. And a lot of people, you know, say that it, it's one of the best, if not one of, you know, if not their favorite TV title run of, of all time. You know what I mean? Uh, with the caveat of being Jay Lethal's, which is the guy that I was trying to catch and break his record. Um, so that that was an incredible feeling to be able to have um, that platform and use that platform the way I did and have the backing of the company later <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to really sort of... Uh, put me on that stage and put those eyes on me. But it was also very frustrating because that's what birthed, birthed Shane Taylor promotions is because I had to go out and ask why as a TV champion, why is arguably the number two guy in the company? Why my name is not on these posters? Why are my matches not being announced? Why is this not happening? Because when it was Silas Young as TV champion, you made sure to put his name up, up there. When it was Kushida, when it was whoever else, when it was Osprey, when, when it was anybody else that held that television championship, you made sure to put their name right at the top. Bright lights, graphics, all this stuff. Why is it that now that I have it, these, same, these things don't happen? These things are being missed. I took that extremely personal and I took that as disrespect because I worked too hard to be an afterthought. I worked too hard and I put too much into this to be second place to anybody, let alone be coming off the bench. That is not what I do. I'm not a bench player. I start. I am a starter. I go out, I put numbers up and I get the job done. So. That's the mentality that I've always had. Um, so for me, my thought process was, okay, if you're not going to promote me the way that I feel as though you should be, or the, or the way that I've seen you promote everybody, everybody else, I'll do it myself. And that's what I did. Well, and I'm glad we circled back to Shane Taylor Promotions here because – I did want to ask you, and you mentioned another word uh, about being the TV champion, about having a platform. Right. The, the bigger picture of Shane Taylor promotions, what do you want to accomplish with that beyond maybe just yourself? Ha, uh, uh, as far as perceptions, as far as uh, the people who will be involved with Shane Taylor promotions, as far as people at home watching um, who may be from the same community that you're from. What is the larger picture for Shane Taylor Promotions? The larger picture of Shane Taylor Promotions is to show not only black ownership, but black unity as well. You can have people from different backgrounds, from different cities, from, from, from different uh, personal beliefs, and come together and el- elevate those around you, elevate your brothers and sisters, elevate your, your, your communities and not be at each other's throats. I think we're taught from a very early age that to be successful, you have to step on the next person. And that's, 
And we've done that to our detriment because you're not taught to trust each other. You're not taught to work with each other. You're not taught these things. Um, and I wanted Shane Taylor Promotions to be a shining example of what that looks like, of what that can be, and what you can achieve when you work together and have a common goal. Um, to be able to work with guys like Connor Moses, like Ron Hunt, like my boy O'Shea Edwards that we just got, um, to be able to do these things and be able to showcase that to young children, to teenagers, to adults, to, the, to not only current but future generations, that this is what this looks like. When you work together, you can be successful and you can trust each other and be unified for a goal. That is the, that is the epitome of what Shane Taylor Promotions represents. Um, me personally, I, I want to be able to take this and expand it into, you know, media and, you know, YouTube and, 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 and all, and all these other things. And, and I, have, I have plans to, to do that once the world sort of gets back the way it needs to be. But, right. uh, yeah, that's, that's the goal, man. And that's, that's why I am so hungry and I am so ambitious and I am, um, so opinionated about the things that I want and, and, and the direction in which I want to go is because I know how important this is. I know how big it can be and I know how much good it can do. You know, um, people just don't understand just how far things like this really reach. You know, um, I, 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 I'd be remiss if I didn't congratulate um, while, while we're on the subject of wrestling, Rich Swan. I know it's other companies, da, 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 da. but for Rich Swan to become an Impact World Champion, he adds himself to a very short list of African-American world champions. And to see that level of positivity and to see just how far that impact reaches and how many people that inspires in a time where people are desperately looking for hope and inspiration. That is an extremely fantastic moment, just like with Kofi, just like with Jay Lethal. It is extremely, extremely important that people have those moments and have those images in their head. Um, and I just want to be able to help provide some of those going forward. Well, uh, absolutely. And, and I think it's, it's worth saying as well that, uh, you know, what you're saying is all about uh, positivity. Uh, right. You're not, you're not anti anything. You're pro um, and, and you're trying to promote something that's positive that doesn't mean you're anti against anybody or that you don't like anybody or anything like that. So I think it's important people don't misunderstand uh, what you what the idea really is behind Shane Taylor Promotions. That's why I wanted you to uh, expand on it. One hundred percent. And I'm glad you you did. And I'm glad you did, because a lot of people. Are so used to being the main focus of everything that when something doesn't include them. They now think it's anti them, which is not the case. <laughs> right. Absolutely. It's just it's just going, hey, 
you you've had your turn. Let somebody else have a turn. We 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 teach this to little kids. I, I have no idea why so many adults can't grasp that concept. Um, but again, like you said, this isn't anti anybody or any company or anything like that. This is very much pro uh, myself, my guys, and our community, and and, and the values that we want to showcase and the um, models that we want to be out there to be able to be seen. Now, people tend to still not like me because I just don't sugarcoat anything. I am brash. I am confident. I am I am arrogant. I'll tell you the truth, the most blunt way possible. If you don't like it, that's a you problem, not a me problem. <laughs> right. All right. Well, again, well said, Shane. Uh, we're going to take our final break, and then when we come back, we're going to play 10 questions with Shane Taylor. I'm Manny the Malt Maker. I'm Mega the Bard. I'm Andrew the Barbarian. I'm Santi the Bard. I'm Thea the Wizard. And I'm Tracy Williams. And to see which character I'll be playing, make sure you tune in to episode three of Role Play of Honor, brought to you by Ring of Honor. Join these stars and more for Role Play of Honor. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong podcast. It's been a fascinating discussion with uh, Shane Taylor, CEO of Shane Taylor Promotions. Now we're going to play 10 questions. Shane, are you ready? I'm always ready. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. All right, question number one. What's something on your bucket list? To wrestle in Japan. Um, that's, that, that's always been a goal of mine. Uh, and that, that's really one of the last bucket list career items that I've got left is to wrestle in Japan. Ah, well, let's hope with, uh, soon, right? Let's hope soon we can actually get back to going to Japan again and, and working with New Japan Pro Wrestling. That would be a, that would be a welcome thing, I think, for all of us. And yeah, and, and that and that would be cool, you know. But there's a lot of companies out there that I've seen a lot of talent like myself get opportunity at. And for me, I I want to go to where the opportunity for success is. Um, so while the former that you mentioned would be great, um, I I just want to go gotcha. wherever that would take me. Okay, very good. All right, question number two. What scares you, if anything? Something happening to my kids. Okay. Uh, at this point in my life, I, I mean, they're still set, even if I was to go today, knock on wood, you know what I mean? But... Um, that's really my only fear and not really so much because of what could happen to them, but my reaction to it because man, <laughs> man, yeah. I can't even, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We talked about that earlier. I, I'm with you. Yeah. All right. Question number three, who is your favorite sports team? Anything Cleveland. Uh, whether that be the Cleveland Gladiators, the Ohio State, even though they're not Cleveland, Ohio State, the Buckeyes, 
uh, the Browns, Tribe. Um, do we have kind of Cavaliers? We have a soccer. Of course, the Cavs. Of course, yeah. the Cavs. And yes, I was a fan. I was a fan when Price and Doherty were playing. So of course, when LeBron plays, you're a fan. He left, still a fan. You know what I mean, came <laughs> back, still a fan. You know what I mean, left again, still a fan. You know what right. I mean? So, but it is. Um, but all, all, also being a kid from Northeast Ohio, to see what he's done has been absolutely incredible. And in the face of just so much hate for a guy that's done so much good, it's it's insane. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't I don't understand the LeBron hate either. But question number four: favorite wrestler growing up? Ron Simmons. Um, because again. And people could argue that Bobo, that Bobo Brazil was the first real African-American world champion, and you wouldn't be wrong about that. But as far as being the first recognized world champion, uh, that, that, that was Ron. And I remember him power slamming Vader in, in Atlanta and the crowd going absolutely bananas. If you watch that clip and you don't get goosebumps, you're not human. Um, and he was well, able Shane- to... So, Shane, I, yeah. I, I hate I hate to be I hate to ever correct you, but that was actually yeah. in Baltimore. That was in Baltimore. Yes, he uh, Ron Simmons beat Vader in Baltimore in the lovely Baltimore Civic Center. Uh, hey, yes, my my apologies to Baltimore. For That's years, okay. I thought I thought I thought it was Atlanta. If I'm wrong about that, then I thank you for the correction. Um, but nonetheless, that moment was absolutely I- incredible, and to see Ron be able to do so more importantly with no, no, no street, anything, no caricature of black culture, just a hardworking dude, just an athlete who overcame it all and rose to the top. That was incredible, incredible for a young Shane Taylor to see. In your travels in the wrestling business, have you crossed paths with Ron at all? Have you gotten to know him on any level? I have. Uh, I, I mentioned Wildcat Sports earlier in, in Louisiana with Lou Hawks. I actually won. I was the first African-American male to hold the ring of uh, to hold the Wildcat Sports World Championship. Um, and the second time I won it was against Stevie Ray of Harlem Heat fame. <laughs> so uh, the, the special guest enforcer of that match happened to be Ron Simmons. And so after beating Stevie Ray, uh, and he's, and he's going to love that. I said that um, after beating Stevie Ray uh, to have Ron present me with that championship and him winning a championship, you know, is a lot of inspiration for my, my career Man, that 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 moment—you can't even really put it in in words. That's such a full circle, you know, surreal type moment, um, and that's one that I'm definitely gonna. When it's all said and done, I'm gonna remember that one for sure. Yeah, that's that's a that's definitely one for the uh, for the mantle, I would say. Uh, yeah, Ron, uh, I've gotten to know Ron over the years, and um, there's a lot of good people in this in this business, but. There's no one better. There's no one nicer uh, than Ron Simmons. I mean, right. Ron right. is just, he's unbelievable. And uh, I got, like I said, I got to work with him a little bit. Um, 
when he gave his Hall of Fame speech in WWE, mm-hmm. I was there at the time on the creative team. And the way it worked was a, a writer would get assigned to uh, work with the Hall of Famers just to help them with their speech if they needed any, if they wanted some suggestions. And so I, I, I got to work with Ron. And, uh, and Ron had his speech all written out. And the only thing I did was I suggested an intro uh, where he would kind of uh, tease that he was going to, because everybody wanted to hear him say, damn, obviously. That was going to be right. what it built to. And I said, maybe off by acting like you're going to do it right away, but then you hold off. And, uh, right. and he loved it. He loved it and he did it. And I ran into Ron after that a few times at uh, independent shows. And always remembered who I was, always came up and gave me a hug, you know, remembered my name. And, um, man, I just I can't say enough good things about Ron Simmons. I just can't say enough good things. He's the man. Plain and simple. All right. Question number five. Do you have a guilty pleasure? Something that you like but might surprise some people that, that you like it or that you might man. not want to admit? Uh, I mean... Not really something I don't want to admit. Like, so my my wife watches a lot of cooking shows, right? And what really got us is, or got me, is Cutthroat Kitchen, right? And maybe it's because of the competition aspect, but like Cutthroat Kitchen, for those that don't don't know, is like this game show where, like, you have to cook these meals and they're judged, but people can like sabotage you along the way, right? So they can like make you cook these and again these are meals being made by like by like chefs and they're being judged by like fine dining experts so they can like take all your fresh ingredients and you got to work with you know two week old ingredients or they make you cook in an upside down pan or they make you cook in like a kitchenette like you know toddler kitchen you know what i mean or something like some stuff like, like that and it's just absolutely insane the stuff that they have to have to make the judges don't know. The judges don't care what you had to do. All it is is present this dish and to be able to, like, see what people come up with given the circumstance is mind-blowing. And I, I, I just sit back and go, damn, if that was me, I'd be so pissed. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Say so you had to make this cheese dish, right? You had all these fresh cheeses. And they were like, nah, son, you got to use this two-week-old Velveeta. You'd be like, damn. Like, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it should it's keep wild. you off that show. You you probably would, uh, man. It, it might not end well. Oh, uh, bro, I'm, I'm fighting. If, if you, <laughs> especially if I go home, I'm like, they gave me two week old Velveeta. What am I supposed to do with that? You know what I mean? But <laughs> make it happen, bro. They make it happen. I, I saw that, and I, I think one of the little she had that, and still made a killer dish. Still, still put in work, and I was like, hey, hats off, hats off. Right. Question number six. Who would play you in a movie about your life? Ooh, damn, that's good. Who would play me in a movie about my life? (sighs) Damn. Now, is, is this who I would want to play me, or I think who would do the best job? Either one. Okay. Selfishly, I would say Denzel, but um, who would do the best job playing me? Damn, that's a great question. Because now I'm now I'm like going through my Rolodex of actors that I'm like, 
Who does what? Damn. All right. Well, hey, you know what? If you, maybe, maybe, maybe box or something like that, just because he's so adaptable, I feel like he'd be able to. He'd be able to lock in on my mentality and and, and bring that to the screen. Um, so yeah, so probably Jamie Foxx if, if I had to pick one. Damn. Okay. All right. I don't know if he's quite bad enough to play play the baddest man. Like, like, do I have to pick actors or can I pick anybody? All right, pick anybody. Well, if that was the case, I'd probably go with DMX. Okay. All right, I see that. Yeah. That that would work. Okay, question number seven. This is uh, one of those deep philosophical questions. What person, past or present, alive or dead, would you like to have a conversation with if you could? That's also tough because it comes down to one, one of two people, either Muhammad Ali or Martin Luther King. Um, but I'm going to go with Ali from the athlete from the athlete standpoint because to be someone at that platform, at that stage, that famous, and take the stance that he did on his beliefs and why is absolutely incredible, especially in that era. And people love to talk about revisionist history and everybody loves to talk about how great Ali is now, but people forget in, in the 70s, people hated Ali absolutely hated him had death threats he was his family was threatened you know he lost his livelihood you know he was called a communist a draft dodger a traitor all this stuff for taking a stance that right now would sort of prove that he was correct in taking and he was able to take all those slings and arrows all of that hate all of that vitriol and still stand tall in his word and his beliefs and essentially come out on the other end of that, the winner. And he was able to do what so many athletes are, and entertainers are starting to do now, but a lot, of st- but a lot are still afraid to do because they're afraid of the, re- of the repercussions of those actions. But you can't continue to be ruled by fear and nothing's ever gonna change if you're afraid to speak up. Yeah, Ali was uh, man. What a what a figure that he was. Uh, uh, such an icon, you know, a world figure. And um, you know, Caprice Coleman, when he was on this show, I asked him the same question, and he had the same answer. It was Muhammad Ali. And uh, I recommended to him, and I'll recommend to you. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a special uh, with Dick Cavett, who uh, was a '70s. Uh, well, he's been a talk show host for years and years, but. He had a lot of interviews back in the day with Muhammad Ali, and they became really close friends. And they've made a documentary about uh, the Dick Cavett years with Muhammad Ali. That if you haven't seen it and you like Ali, I really because uh, it really it, it really encapsulates everything that you just said about him. And and Absolutely. you know the, the, how he was so polarizing uh, to, to to many people in America back in the day. But I think at the end of the day, Ali actually. I think is kind of the point you made. It did become a beloved figure, and and was it, it wasn't always that way. That's for sure. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Because he was like, okay, like, and that and that that's the thing. People like, oh, he's the greatest. And like, y'all hated Ali fifty years ago. Stop it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But again, it it just shows when you have conviction, 
and you are true to your beliefs, eventually history will, will prove you correct and justified. I'll tell you, Shane, I'm actually old enough that I remember, I remember Ali when he was the champion near the end of his career. Right. Uh, I, I was a very young boy in the 70s, and I remember Ali beating George Foreman uh, mm. to become the champion. And, um, man, I, you know, that was like back in the days of closed circuit, so I didn't see it. But then they right. would show it on, like, ABC's Wide World of Sports several weeks later. And right. so I got to see Ali and, and, like, just hear his interview. Like, I already loved professional wrestling at that point. So here's mm-hmm. Ali cutting these unbelievable promos. I don't know. People could say they liked him or didn't like him. I loved him. I immediately loved Ali. He became my favorite boxer. Oh yeah. Well, a lot of his in in inspiration came from 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 wrestling. From, it from did. Gorgeous. Yep. Yeah. He's talked about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Question number eight. Do you have a favorite author? I have a favorite author. Yes. Uh, I've read. Uh, there's a book by Michael Eric Dyson that I, I, I've been reading about the life of Tupac. That's absolutely great. Um, and he's put out a lot of material that, uh, for, for those that don't know, um, gives a great perspective on black culture and trying to uh, fit into mainstream America or really sort of a, a expose why black culture is mainstream America. And um, he, he does a great job of that. So Michael Eric Dyson would be that guy. Okay. Question number nine. What's something that's popular that you don't understand why it's popular, don't see the appeal of it? <sighs> Man, where to begin? <laughs> um, first off, skinny jeans. Never got it, never will. Won't ever be my thing. I do not understand the point of wearing like tight clothes aren't comfortable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right. it, it's one thing if like, and, and, and again, for different people, for, 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 for different reasons, it's one thing, like clearly someone who wrestles in a singlet, like, like, okay, but that's, that's functional. Right. But to just have tight ass pants on that <laughs> don't fit, that you have to wear a belt, but it, it's they're not going like it's the most ridiculous thing ever. It's like someone decided one day, hey, let me put my girlfriend's pants on and <laughs> called it fashion. It's like, bro, that's just it's just it doesn't look good. Like do it, like do what you do. No judgment. Like do what you want to do. But like it just looks ridiculous. It looks ridiculous. Well, once again, I'm going to agree with you. All right, and, and, well, and all these social media dancing apps too, bro. Y'all look ridiculous. <laughs> so your your daughters might not be old enough yet, but um, I have a 15 year old and 11 year old. It's mainly the 11 year old who shows right. me this stuff. It's like I don't know if it's TikTok. I don't even know what it is, but she'll show me these videos that are just the silliest, dumbest things of people doing nothing, and then she'll show me the and it'll be like 7.8 billion views, and I don't. I'm like, why? Bro, it is like, I, this whole why? thing become social media clout chasing. And where I'm from, clout chasing is not a good thing. Right. You end up doing stupid stuff, trying to get recognition, and it just, it, it, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't do anything. So now you've got people like 
hurting themselves trying to clout chase or hurting people close to them. And it's like, you just look silly. All for what? All for views? All for something that people are, are going to forget the next video that comes up? Like, come on, man. All right. question. I guess we're just old. I don't know. All right. Question number 10. What's a subject you'd like to know more about? I I would actually love to learn more about politics because and, and, and the inner workings of how things are the way they are because whatever you're taught in school and whatever the way you think they are is nowhere near how they actually are um, and so for me I would love to learn exactly what makes things tick exactly what things um what makes the gears move and why because the better you can understand something the better you can un un understand any issue or problem the better that you can attack it. all right well i'm going to ask a follow-up question since you i didn't know what your answer was going to be obviously this would be question 10a uh is it possible that we would ever see you we've seen other wrestlers over the years uh, actually get into politics is right. that something that you would ever consider doing because i think i think man you, you could do a lot of good yeah uh, i think there would be steps that i would take prior to that uh number one not even joking would probably be moving my family out the country um um and and setting up different uh, security measures because I don't think I'm going to be a person that a lot of people are going to like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, well, you got to get uh, got to get enough to like you so you can get voted. Yeah, like yes, I, I think a lot of people will, but uh, but you know me, man. Like I I am a very straight down the line person. Yeah. Like I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you reality. Reality That's is good. this is That's the situation thing. that we're in. Reality yeah. is this is the society that we're in. Reality is these are the issues we need to confront. Reality, this is what it's going to take. And a lot of people have been lied to for so long that when they hear the truth, they don't see it and, and they and they don't recognize it. So, um, and especially given the times that we're in, again, something happens to my family, we're gonna it's it's gonna be a whole other issue. So uh I I could definitely see myself doing that and if I were to try to ascend to any of the higher levels, that's when we we would have to have those conversations. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Well, Shane, uh, we've come to the end of 10 questions. We've come to the end of the interview. Uh, I just want to say, as always, I, I, I always enjoy speaking with you. I know we've spent, uh, we've had some serious conversations uh, backstage at the, in the locker rooms about things. Um, and it was great to do it in this format. I hope I redeemed myself somewhat after uh, not inviting you on for, you know, the previous 28 episodes. Uh, hopefully, hopefully um, you can forgive me for that. As I said, you know, if, if you have all the great guests on in the beginning, then who's going to listen to episode 29? So thanks so much uh, for giving me so much of your time today. Really appreciate it. I get all that. And you are <laughs> forgiven, Kevin. I'm sure it's going to be. Uh, and a, a podcast listened to by, by, by fans and those in the back alike to just to uh, hear what I'm going to say. <laughs> so uh, I, 
thank you for having me. Uh, uh, it's been a pleasure. And anytime, we'll do it again. All right, man. I appreciate it. And I uh, just want to say thanks to everybody out there for listening. Remember, a new episode of the ROH Strong podcast drops every Monday morning on ROHWrestling.com and most podcast platforms. So keep it locked into ROHWrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's uh, Ring of, at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for news regarding upcoming episodes. Until next time, this is Kevin Eck saying stay safe, everyone, and let's all be ROH strong. You are listening to RH Strong, and uh, you know, thank you very much. And uh, we, we thank you. <laughs>